Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Welcome to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. We're here for the first episode of the 2022 season, and I'm so glad to be joined by Kyle Petty, who's here to tape the first episode of the Motormouth season yes. here later on here at NBC Sports Charlotte, but appreciate you coming in a little bit early, KP, to do the NASCAR NBC podcast. Thanks for inviting me, man. I yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. I'm pre- I'm, I miss doing this. You have an open invite. You're oh, always an open invite. Yeah. On the NASCAR okay. NBC podcast. You're one of our best guests, of course. <laughs> and what better time than to talk about Atlanta Motor Speedway mm. in the wake of the first race yesterday yeah. on this repaved, reprofiled new Atlanta Motor Speedway, which was intended to produce super speedway style racing. And yep, seems like they succeeded in turning into a mini Daytona Talladega. Just give me your overall impressions. Did you like it? Um, Entertaining. Yeah, I, I thought it was. You know, listen, Atlanta is one of those racetracks like Michigan and, and, and Michigan's a two-mile racetrack where you tend to get one or two guys that just drive away from the pack. We didn't see that yesterday, and I think that was the design. That was the intent, uh, but that's also been the intent of the car. So where did those two cross? Where did the track and the new car and the package with the new car and all that stuff come together at the right time? Would it be the same race if we were back to the old cars on this racetrack? Uh, what would the new car do on the old racetrack? You know that, and, and those questions will never be answered, but I liked it. I enjoyed it from a fan's perspective. I, I'm, I'm sure as a driver, I would hate it. Right. I, I, I would right. hate it because it, it's Daytona, and it's, it's almost like Daytona on steroids. And what I mean by that is it's like Bristol. You go out to practice at Bristol, and you can't catch your breath the first couple of times because it's just, my God, it happened so fast. Everything was fast, fast, fast. You know, Daytona, you go out, and it's wide open, but it feels like everything's moving like this. I, I've said it before. When you run... You know, you run 25 miles an hour down a residential street, it's like this. You run 50 <laughs> miles an hour down a residential street, it's like this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and when you look at Atlanta, it's just a smaller package with the Daytona speeds, that, with the Daytona setup, with the Daytona style racing. So it had to be pretty intense to be in a car. Well, let's jump ahead then to the driver factor because <laughs> that was on my list. I, I'll come oh, yeah. back a little bit. I got a few more questions about super speedway racing in general, but let's just go right to the drivers because we know... Kyle Busch was a little unhappy mm-hmm. with this. And go back to last July, Kyle Busch was one of the most outspoken about saying, hey, we've got racetrack promoters who aren't using their brains. I yeah. don't like the way this thing was designed. And yesterday he crashed out and he was asked by Dustin Long. This type of racing, is it making you more an entertainer than a driver? Yep. And then he was asked by Jordan Bianchi of The Athletic. I like this version of Atlanta better than 
that was it. That was your two-answer Kyle Busch yes. interview, which told you how Kyle felt about it. So I want to approach this, Kyle, from your perspective. There's a Drivers Advisory Council now this year yes. that was formed, I think not coincidentally, a week after the Atlanta Motor Speedway announcement last year was when this thing started to get momentum. You're on a board of directors here with Jeff Burton, Kurt Busch, Austin Dillon, Denny Hamlin, Corey LaJoy, Joey Logano, Daniel Suarez, and yourself. Will this be a topic of discussion? You know, how that's does that work? That's a great question. That's, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, and I think that's a, that's a question for uh, the chairman of the board, Jeff, Jeff Burton. Jeff Burton. More so than Kyle Pay. But I will, I will say this, okay? I, w- I will go on record and saying that when Lee Petty and Fireball Roberts and Junior Johnson showed up at Daytona, they didn't complain about the design of the racetrack or who designed it. When they showed up at Wilkesboro and nobody complained about the design of the racetrack or who designed it. They just raced it. They just raced it. And, and that's what we've always done. So is that a place that drivers, or is that a place you really want your complaints to be? You know what I mean? Listen, I've always laughed, and and you you won't be able to see this on the podcast, but let me design a racetrack. (laughs) Oh, there it is. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Kyle Petty just drew a circle on a legal pad. So that's a, you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, as you look at it, and and that's a very simplistic, not accurate way to do it, but what I'm trying to say is, that we in the sport have always just raced whatever was there, whether it was Sonoma, whether it was Riverside, whether it was Watkins Glen, whether it was Martinsville. We, we didn't come in and say, oh, we got this new car. We got to change all the design. I applaud Marcus Smith and SMI for looking at a speedway that had changed already from what it was originally from the intent of 1960 and changed it and said, mm, maybe we can do something different. Maybe now's the time. We're, we're getting a new car. Things are coming along. So I, I do l- like that. You know, maybe drivers should have had some input, but what are they going to say? I mean, honestly, you know what I mean? The driver's concerns should be more about the safety of the track, more about the soft walls, more about the runoff areas, more about places. We saw a couple of hard hits without the soft walls and without what was already implemented, they could have been some catastrophic hits that, that went on yesterday. So I, I think that is more, should be more of a concern for the drivers is the safety aspect okay. of what a racetrack is more so than how does the surface feel? What is this? Is it, is the bank too steep? Is the bank too flat? What, what is it? I'm, I'm not sure that I, that, that I agree with all that. I think Kyle Busch's biggest concern or complaint last year, at least yeah. was that the, the turns weren't wide enough. Yeah. But, but, uh, but, 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 but. <laughs> Okay, and I, and I heard that all day yesterday too uh-huh. on the on the TV. Yeah, and the turns actually are wider at at, Char- at Atlanta than, than they are at Daytona. Right. So what's your what's your complaint? The problem is, the problem is, it's not that the turns aren't wider, or aren't wide enough. It's that you don't use all the asphalt. They don't go in up next to the wall and turn one or turn three at Atlanta like they do at Daytona. Because so it's not the preferred line? It just just, just because the way the gr- way it funnels down. So it funnels down from three on a straightaway to two and you at, at, at Daytona and Talladega. And you, you got to understand that it's it's the radius. It's it's the difference if you lay if you lay on a piece of paper, if you lay a quarter on a piece of paper, that's let's call that radius Daytona's corners. Now let's lay a nickel on on top of that. That's Atlanta's radius. So so much more has to happen. That's why I think we had so many accidents when people were pushing. Joey Logano said it. We're going to be able to push on the straightaways, but I don't want any anybody pushing me in the corners. And we saw people 
because you get into a corner at Daytona and you lay on somebody and it's a long, sweeping, slow corner. But somewhere in the middle of Atlanta, there's an apex that you have to hit. And when you hit and those cars shift, we saw things. So I understand some of it. I, I, I do understand some of, and, and I understand both sides. You, you know what I mean? I just think if you open that door and let drivers and team owners and crew chiefs and everyone become golf course designers, <laughs> you know what I mean? Then, right. the, then the game of right. golf changes. Right. And, and not necessarily for the, for the best. Right. Not necessarily for the best. If drivers were to design racetracks, give us the widest, smoothest yeah, racetracks that's right. possible. Yeah. No cautions. We can spin out, not that's hit right. anything. That's no grass. No, you know, <laughs> and it's like if, if an amateur golfer designed a golf course, there would be no trees, no <laughs> lakes, no sand traps, no anything. So to paraphrase a guy that you and I know well, Eddie Gossage once said, shut up and drive yeah. after the first race yeah. in Texas. That's somewhat that's valid a, that's to about, a degree. That is a valid point. The point is, yes. You know, I, I want to give you a seat at the table, but your seat at the table is not any more important, okay, than the guy sitting next to you. And I think sometimes, and, and I'll say it, sometimes, because I was a driver, sometimes we as drivers believe our seat is the most important seat. And, and it's not always that way. This is a group of, and I'm going to use the word that everybody uses, stakeholders, <laughs> that, which wears my butt out, <laughs> that are looking to grow the sport and make the sport better. So everybody has a voice. And, and I think that's the way it should be at this point in time. Joey Logano had an interesting way of looking at this, KP, and he told Dustin Long after the race that... I guess, I don't know, he'd be the judge if it's entertaining or not. I don't, I don't know. It's a different type of racing. Um, where's the line? The line of what? Between crossing up too much entertainment uh, or... I don't know. I always look at it as a tax I got to pay to go racing more fun stuff. <laughs> on, like next week. <laughs> but that's just part of it. I, I, I'm not a big fan of it because there's just so many wrecks and stuff. And doesn't takes a lot of the driver out of it, so it kind of bugs me a little bit. Or you can study it and be really good at it and get caught up in the wrong stuff, and that's what happens. So I mean, it, I guess it's exciting. I'm sure it was exciting as a fan. That's why we keep doing it, and that's why the fans love it. So I guess I better get over it. <laughs> this isn't a totally great analogy, but in this time of inflation in America, <laughs> there's apparently inflation now in NASCAR with the Cup Series with super speedway racing because now Atlanta essentially will give you six super speedway races yep. in addition to the two annual at Daytona and Talladega. So how do you look at that? Do you agree with Joey that maybe that's the way for drivers to look at this is to just sort of accept that, hey, sometimes it's going to come out of my wallet literally and figuratively, literally yeah. for the team owners. That they're going to crash some cars and have to deal with some racing that's really yeah. frustrating. Yeah, they're going to have to deal with a, a style of racing that is frustrating oh, okay and I, I think that's what you get into because speedway is a different style of racing i find it fascinating that we're going to be up in arms a little bit that we're adding two super speedway races but nobody said anything when we added 14 road courses <laughs> yeah, yeah you know what i mean it's like oh i love those road courses man that's the greatest thing that's the new short track and that's you know what i'm trying to say yeah. i mean there's has to be a balance somewhere you, you know what i mean and daytona and talladega are your speedway races this racetrack races like a speedway. But I'm not sure that was speedway racing. I, I, I'm not willing to call it speedway racing. I know they drove it that way, but we heard for Saturday and Sunday, if you listen to some of the stuff and read some of the comments, 
you know, I've got a uh, low drag package. I got a high drag package. I got a handling package. I got, let's go to the front package. You know what? I mean, so they were all over the board. When you go to Daytona, basically it's, give me speed. When you go to the Talladega, it's basically give it speed. July is the one outlier in that because July at Daytona seemed to get hot and slick, used to. Uh, I don't know with this car. I think Joey's comment is more by saying, like, and using the word tax, but it's more like this is the price we have to pay to be able to run the racetracks we want to run. You know what I mean? And if this is the price we have to pay, so be it. I'm willing to do it. You know what I mean? Because I want to be able to run Martinsville. I want to be able to run Bristol. I want to be able to run Charlotte and Texas and, and, and all these racetracks. So, you know, I think a lot of people would have liked to have seen Atlanta stay Atlanta, but Atlanta's not going to be Atlanta anymore. So get over it. You yeah. know what I mean? And I think that's what Joey's saying also. It's a different racetrack. It's moved into a different category. We just have to live with it. I think some of the fear and loathing might be, though, that, hey, this worked at Atlanta. There might be some other mile-and-a-half tracks that we might want to try this with. Does there come a point where owners, I mean, we know that drivers, perhaps their say should be limited, but owners, they're footing the bill, and you've got yeah. this next-gen car this year that has limited inventories. Everybody's scrambling yeah. for parts and pieces and cars. Do you think at some point owners say they're paying for it? Yeah. Like maybe they push back and say, hey, six of these types of races is enough. You know, that, that's, a, that's a great question. I could see them pushing. I, I, I really could. And they would have the numbers to back it up. You know what I mean? They would yeah. have the financial numbers to be able to back. I, I mean, it's a funny thing that this conversation, we're having this conversation today because we had this same conversation. I had the same conversation with my dad probably 30 years ago. Okay, early 90s to mid 90s. Seems to be the time when we started going to T Daytona and Talladega and tearing up more cars at Daytona and Talladega than you did at Martinsville or Bristol. There was a crossover moment there. Teams took their worst crap to Bristol because they knew it was coming back in a basket. You took stuff to Martinsville that you didn't mind tearing the sides off of or tearing the front ends off. That's what it was. Now, this is when teams had three or four cars, not when they had 39 cars like, like they, they got into a NASCAR. But there was that crossover with the plate and the way things begin to race and the way people begin to race. You know, you go back to Bill Elliott unlapping himself two times. Nobody got close to each other. Yeah. You weren't going to tear anything up. Right. Nobody right. got close to each other. And, and so through the 80s and stuff, you had those type races where people run close. But man, I mean, I, I, I can't tell you how many times working at Petty Enterprises, we brought a car back from Daytona, pushed it over in the corner, cleaned it up, and took it to Talladega and never repainted it. It was done, man. It was done. You know what I mean? And, and those days stopped. Somewhere in the 90s, those days stopped. So think about if Rick Hendrick sat down and said, okay, 1998 to 2022, how many cars have I tore up at Daytona? <laughs> now, let's go back and remember, Jimmy Johnson, those guys will tear up three or four years right, sometimes. Right, you know right. what I mean? How many cars have I torn up? I bet that numbers would shock a lot of people. I can remember talking to Rick Hendrick after the 2012, what was then, I believe, Sprint Unlimited, maybe Bud Shootout. Yeah. And I talked to him the day after that race, and all four of his cars had been wrecked yeah. the night before. And he said, I just lost a million dollars in race cars. Yeah, think about <laughs> it. Think about it. And, and that's one weekend. So think about that spread over. Yeah. Think about that spread over a 25-year period and think about how much. So I can see the owners stepping in and saying, okay, this is our limit. But yeah. I, 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 I have to say to, at the same time, if I look at Charlotte, if I look at Texas, if I look at Kansas, Atlanta is, was a unique one-and-a-half-mile racetrack. It's not Charlotte. It's not Texas. It's a little bit 
from the front stretch to the middle of the back stretch is wider. Um, you never re really, even when, when we used to run there a thousand years ago, when it was the old, old Atlanta Speedway, just two straightaways, you were only ever straight for almost like a nanosecond. You'd come off the corner, drift out to the wall, and then start back into the next corner. Same thing on the back stretch. So it was like one big Continuous circle. And, and that's almost when they made the D-shape in the front. It's just a continuum of that. And you see them come off, and they don't run that straight down the back stretch anymore. So I, I just think Charlotte, other places, I'm not sure they could do that. So it's interesting, KP, you described it as not quite Daytona and Talladega, but it may be a different, and yeah. obviously it's it's a mile and a half, so it's not a 2.66 yeah. mile racetrack like Talladega or two and a half mile racetrack like Daytona. Obviously, it's it's shorter, but it sounded like you know speeds were insane in person. Yeah. I wasn't there. I was in Texas Motor Speedway from IndyCar race, but it sounded like watching it was just a constant blur. And you know, I didn't monitor social media like you. I try to yeah. avoid monitoring too much social media, yeah. but it seems like I haven't checked it on the JeffGluck.com poll, but it seemed like fans liked it. It seemed like if you were a fan of yeah. Daytona or Talladega, this was close enough. This was a close enough approximation yeah. that you got your money's worth. Yeah. That's what you're looking for. I, 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 would, I would say so. Yeah. I, I would say so. In, in a strange way, <laughs> in a strange way, it's, it's like you, that style of racing, that type of racing, it was a miniature version of that. It's like going up to GoPro and watching cup guys run go-karts. It's a miniature version of a road course. You know what I mean? So it looks cool. And you see the passing and you see the racing, but you know it's a little bit different. And, and that, but I still, you know, it just wasn't the – things happened fast. It was, it, it was a different game. It was just a little – it was just enough different that I didn't – all I compared to Daytona and Talladega was everybody – they run for half the race and everybody was still on the lead lap. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, that yeah. kind of thing. Was That's it maybe it. a little less of a chess match? than those two tracks? It, you know, it seemed to be, you know, how Daytona, the outside line, and then it's the inside line, and then they're side by side, and then they could pull out, and they could do it, It's like you, the inside line could go, and then it couldn't go, and the outside line went and went and went and went, and it was never going to stop yet. You know how that third lane at Daytona and Talladega kind of screws up the outside line and the inside line? There was no third lane to screw up the outside line or the inside line. So it was, it was not... And, and you could control, and we've seen Joey Logano and Brad Kay and so many really, really, Denny Hamlin, so many really good restrictor plate drivers get to the front and control the race. Nobody really had to control the race. Once you got out front, you know, you could make a pass like you were getting ready to block that inside lane, and it just stopped that lane. And I don't know if that's the car, again, or if this is a racetrack. I don't know. We talked to Steve Letarte this morning on the production call for NASCAR American Motorhouse, and he was saying that talking to spotters, like this was more mentally taxing and yeah. exhausting than any Daytona or Talladega race. And I thought it was really interesting. First of all, to say that the first Talladega race I can remember 2000 when Jeff Gordon won at Talladega. I vividly remember him saying, everyone, I concentrated so much, my eyeballs hurt right yeah. now. And that triggered for me when William Byron, after winning the race yesterday, said, Chris Nightcatchlands.com. Uh, hey, William, I was just curious if today's race was as mentally challenging or exhausting as a Daytona or Talladega? Uh, more, more for sure. I mean, Daytona and Talladega, when you get single file, you can relax. And today, when you were, you were single file, you were constantly working to stay single file so you didn't lose the lead. So I think um, that was a lot different. You know, I'm not used to that and the way that you, you know, I, I told Brandon at one point and Rudy, I was like, man, I can't believe we're not halfway yet because this is like, this just feels long mentally, just all the energy that I'm spending to to uh, do all the moves that we need to make. So 
pretty crazy race, but definitely good to, you know, come out on top. And I, I had this conversation with Matt Kenseth or when they ran Charlotte here and they first started running around Charlotte basically wide open and with the Toyotas and stuff when, when he was driving there. And, you know, and Matt had a great comment. I can't race if I'm qualifying every lap. Okay? I can't race. I just go out there and run as hard as I can, lap after lap after lap. I can't race. And basically when I watched Atlanta, I can't race. If I'm, quali- if I'm running wide open and qualifying every lap, I can't race. Somebody else has to race for me. That's where the spotter comes in. That's where the concentration comes in to stay focused on hitting my marks and listening to what's going on in my head. And when he says inside, I'm going to block that inside line. When he says outside, I'm moving there. When he says there's a gap, I got to believe that there's a gap. But I'm so focused on he- keeping my car where it needs to be. You know, that was always the deal with, with Talladega. Talladega was never, as, as you got into pack racing, it's not a physical racetrack. You know what I mean? But it's a mental racetrack. It's an, it's, it just drains you mentally. You know, you could run Bristol and go home and feel like you've been beat up with a baseball bat. Or, or run Talladega and you go home Monday morning and you wake up and you think you had a lobotomy. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? I mean, your brain has just been sucked out of your head. Right. You know, and, right. and honestly, it has because you just, you have a headache because you just have focus so much. So uh, th- with things happening as fast as they happen, there's a time to come off turn two and get to turn three at Daytona. You come off of it at, at Atlanta to turn two, you're in turn three. Yeah. You're, you're in turn three. And you're processing yeah. what everybody and, and else is doing around yeah. you at the same time. And you're listening you're, and you're yeah. watching. <laughs> and now you got that backup mirror in there where you can see, right, you know, you've got, right. you can, you're visually seeing, your, your visual cues are so many. And then you have the verbal cues that are going on in your head from, from your spotter and your crew chiefs and everything else. I am, I'm, I'm amazed that we did not have lapses in judgment and guys just say, I forgot where I was at. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just forgot where I was at. But we never seemed to have any of that yesterday, and that's a tribute to the guys. And a tribute to the race winner. William Byron certainly yep. knows how to multitask. Third cup win. He also had his first cup win at Daytona in the regular season finale a couple years ago. So clearly he's good at super speedway drafting. The Renaissance man with me here on the podcast today, KP, was the one who dubbed him Lord Byron. Lord Byron. After one of the leading <laughs> poets of the Romantic era. I think now uh, maybe he's more known as Willie B. I still yeah. prefer Lord Byron. I still call him he, Lord Byron. I'm he's Lord Sorry. Byron here on the NASCAR NBC podcast. So it seems to be developing into having a great reputation as a really good drafter, third career win. And now it comes at the time, KP, I don't think William Byron's going anywhere, but he's the only guy left at Hendrick who's in a contract here. Bowman, Elliott, Larson are all signed beyond 2022. So timely win, a good thing for William Byron. And you know where do you think he is right now? Listen, I think William Byron is home, but I think he was home when he got there. Yeah, I, I don't think Rick has any... I, I don't believe Rick Hendrick to have any intention of ever letting William Byron out of his grasp. I, you know, I know we've seen Chase. I know we've seen Kyle Larson, and we see Alex just continue to win, and it's amazing. I, I mean, he's he's just there. He's solid, and he's there. But and I, I've said it, and I've said it on our pre-race. I've said it a million times on on NBC. I think William Byron is the anchor and the future of what Hendrick Motorsports is. I don't think it's Chase it's not Chase. Sorry. I don't the think it's Chase The guy who just signed Elliott. a five-year deal, yeah. it's not him. Don't care. <laughs> don't care. I think when William Byron hits his stride, we're going to be sitting here, and I honestly believe we're going to be sitting here with comparisons to Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson. I, d- I don't hear that about Chase. I, I hear, oh, Chase wants road courses. Okay? I, d- I don't see that. You know, last time Chase won an oval was Phoenix when he won the championship. That's not Jimmy Johnson. 
That's not Jeff Gordon. Those guys can, can are competitive everywhere. Byron has been competitive a lot of places. They've just got to get past that, that point. They've got to break through that. Uh, I think Rudy has been really good for him, really, really good. For whatever reason, you know, it's, it, they just, they've just kind of clicked. But I think he thinks about it, he studies it, and I think he's the guy that can drive the bus creatively to move the car forward and to help the car move forward because he focuses on things like that. So I, 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 that's just my opinion. And Rudy Fugel, his crew chief, was the guy who William Byron said before last year, before the 2021 season, that's my guy. I yeah. won with him the truck series. Rick Hendrick, uh, we're picking a new crew chief for me. That's the guy I want. So yeah. it's like he had this sense of autonomy. And, and it's easy to sort of lose sight of the fact, I guess, Kyle, that, I mean, William Byron is in his fifth season in Cup, but he's still – He's still younger than 25, I believe. That's right. Yeah, he's, I mean, he can't <laughs> be, what, 22, 23? I mean, he's still got to be somewhere in he that might range. He 24 this yeah, year, Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe. But, I mean, he's um, extremely young. Yeah, I mean, golly, man. he's Listen, he's closer to the prom than he is to retirement, <laughs> okay? So let, let's look at it that way. So, But I, I think when you, look at, when, you, when you look at it, it is, and those are solid. If, if, we go, if I go back and look at a 19-year-old, a 20-year-old, a 21-year-old, those are solid years, man. Those are, those are solid years. He had to learn how to run Cup. I talked to Rick, you know, after he won the championship and Rick moved him to Cup. I was like, great, right, great, great right. call, man. And Rick took some heat for it. You know what I mean? And Rick called and he said, well, why do you say that? You know, why, are, why, are you, why do you think it's a good call? And I, and, and I go back to, and, and I told Rick, I said, I'm going to give you the Richard Petty theory. If you're going to be a Cup driver, go race Cup. Okay, that's where you're going to learn. Yeah. Learn to race against Kevin Harvick. Learn to race against Kyle Busch. Learn to race those guys and what they race. Get those hard knocks yeah. out of the way. Get them out of the way. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's going to be, be painful. Anyway. It's yeah. going to be painful. Don't, it's not, but get them out of the way. Don't spend all your time in the Xfinity Series or the Truck Series winning championships or winning what you think is a lot of races, and then you have to move up, and then you have to go through that period at 28 or 29. Go ahead and do it now. And I think that's what, you know, his first year, second year, third year, he struggled a little bit. Uh, but he's kind of hit a, a rhythm, and I think if you could get some of the luck away from him, because I mean he runs up front, wins some stages, scores stage points, does everything he needs to do. He just needs to get in victory lane a little bit more. This could be the year it clicks. And I looked it up by the way. Lord Byron turned 24 mm. last November 29th. There you so go. Still very young. Want to talk to you about some of these other guys in the top five, Kyle? Going back to what you were saying about those days in the early 90s when things changed and yeah. you need to have specific cars and, and much more um, race-specific cars. I was struck by the fact yesterday that you had Ross Chastain, Kurt Busch, Corey LaJoy finish in the top five with battered race cars yeah. like, that have been in like wrecks and spins yep. and through the grass. And apparently the next gen is just a tank, which yeah. I think is what NASCAR wanted. And I would think kind of to your point earlier, should be allowed to be used everywhere. Yeah, I, th I think... I think we begin to see it with the bodies on the Xfinity cars, with the composite bodies, you know, because they were, listen, if Tyler Reddick could drive a composite body and not tear it off a car, that's your body. That's what, because he did it in the Xfinity series. He'd run all up next to the wall and just never, never checked up. He was the good test model or the good tester for, for that. So you look at the body. I think there, there are weak links. We, we see him getting the wall and, and the independent rear suspension, it cocks it and moves it enough that, you know, your day is over. Uh, there are there are some weak links that, that come with it, but these are tough cars. Body-wise, these are incredibly tough cars. And I think the way the engine compartment's designed and the way a lot of the car is designed, it's designed to take a little bit of a blow and pop back and, and, and bounce back. 
and and I think we saw that yesterday. Now, is it the fastest car in the world when it does that? No. That we we've got to go back to some of these cars that were torn up, and you you have to to put that little asterisk side of it and say, okay. 31 cars were involved in wrecks. That's why some of these cars are still running up yeah, front yeah. because there were so many cars that were torn up yesterday. There were there were fewer cars in perfect condition than there were, and, and a lot of races are not that way, but uh, impressive what these crews did because with the limited amount of work they let you do to fix a body and fix a car now in NASCAR, I was impressed with every one of those teams getting those cars close enough that they could go back out there and run to see Ross Chastain after he had been all over the wall. And the next thing I know, I'm like, I'm, you're out of my fantasy league. No, you're back <laughs> in my fantasy league. Let's get you back. You know what I mean? Because he's like, where did that happen, man? Because if that had been last year, yeah, yeah you write that off, man. He's not coming back from that. Yeah. Uh, so the comeback from from that was pretty spectacular. And if it had been last year, I don't think we'd be talking about track house racing yeah. and Ross Chastain finishing second, Suarez finishing fourth, Chastain's 10th in points, Suarez is 13th in points, Chase Briscoe, who had the win this year uh, at Phoenix, is third in points. Meanwhile, you got Denny Hamlin in 26th, Kevin Harvick in 14th, Austin Cedric wins the Daytona 500, he's 17th in points. I don't want to steal your thunder on Motor Mouse, but oh. you had a great point on the call earlier when you were talking about why we might have this mix up front. I think there's been a lot of focus on, oh, it's next gen, it's parody, it's things are changing. But you had a really good point on the, the <laughs> different mix. And, a, and yeah. I, I love your analogies as always, KP. You brought <laughs> it up baseball that yeah. like the guys like Hamlin and Harvick, Keselowski, they've got scouting reports on the guys they race up yes. front. Yeah. And those scouting reports don't really apply as much when you get no. guys from Trackhouse and Chase Briscoe that you're racing against. Uh, right? When you look at Denny Hamlin, and Denny Hamlin has spent his entire career racing Kyle Busch, racing Chase Elliott, racing all these guys, Kevin Harvick, racing these guys at the sharp end of the stick. They didn't have to worry about Corey LaJoy. They didn't have to worry about Daniel Suarez. You know, they didn't worry about Ross Chastain and, 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 unless they dropped down and run the Xfinity series. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so they, they didn't, they weren't used to it. And it's that, it's that same thing in a crazy way of when rookies, I grew up and I came along at a time when the old, old guys were here, you know, and you couldn't pay David Pearson to run with you if you had a yellow bumper. <laughs> there's, there's no way. He right. didn't want anything to do right. with you because he had Doesn't no idea what yeah. you were going to do. Wow. Had no idea whether you're going to go left, you're going to go right, you're going to go through the pack, you're going to go to the back. What are you going to do? Yep. So he just wouldn't run with you. I mean, he just, I don't care. You know what I mean? So those guys, they were very selective on who they ran with. And if you go back and look at the races from the 70s and 60s, those were the same thing. All those guys racing the same thing. That's why when Daryl come along, it skewed everything and messed everything up because here's this kid right in the middle of it. That's why when Earnhardt came along, skewed what Kale thought about it, skewed, skewed what Pearson did. That's why when Jeff came along a little bit later, then you had Rusty and, and Mark and, and Earnhardt Sr. and those guys, and they're like, where'd this kid come from? Yeah. We're not supposed to be racing with this kid. We're supposed to be better than this. So that's the way it's always been. But now all of a sudden we put everybody in a bag this year, shook it up and said, hey, it's all for one and one for all. Get in here. Let's get it done. And I just don't believe that Denny Hamlin knows exactly what 
Daniel Suarez is going to do lap after lap or what Ross Chastain. And that's not a knock on their driving style. No. It's just you don't have that book built yet. You're, it's a different It's a different game. It's fascinating. Hamlin, don't mean to pick on him, but you know, 26th in points. He forgets that it's no longer an H-shift <laughs> transmission, yeah. H pattern, and that costs him big time at uh, Vegas, I believe. And then this time at Atlanta, he just he screws up and makes a mistake and takes himself out and crashes Larson as well. At both times, he had really fast cars. Is it panic button time at all yet for the 11 team? It's only five races, but no. it seems like this is a pretty good sample size. We're 20% of the way through the regular season almost. So here's if, if this was last year, okay, I would say no panic, no concern. You know, I, I just would. But I really expected after five or six races this year, after these first five or six races, to see some, to see it kind of sort out where there's my man Kevin Harvick. There's my man Denny Hamlin. There's my man Kyle Busch. All my guys have moved back to the front. You know, the world is right again. I hadn't seen that. No. You know what I mean? After five races, I've not seen that, and there's no indication going to Coda we're going to see that. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? There's no indication going to the next three or four races that we're going to see that. So if Denny's behind after five, I would give you the next 20 for him to catch up. But I think the way it's so, it's so mixed up, it's going to be tougher to catch up. So I don't think it's time to panic, but I think you've got to be concerned. I wouldn't have been concerned last year if I was Denny Hamlin. This many races into the season, I'm not concerned. Right. Denny's going to knock it out of the park somewhere. And he still is going to knock it out of the park somewhere. That's not what... But just to find that consistency, I'm concerned about that Because, like, you're right. I mean, now we got Circuit of the Americas, Bristol Dirt. Yeah. Martinsville is looming out there somewhere yep. for him. That's good. But, yeah, not a lot of tracks where you're just no. going to start building that kind of no, momentum. Not, not where you can land and say, okay... Here's my stake in the sand. I'm going to build from this point forward. You know, yeah. or, or my stake in the ground. I'm going to build from this point forward. I want to wrap up with a driver who put a stake in the ground elsewhere, Texas Motor Speedway, yeah. which is where I was this weekend. Again, I appreciate you being here because I didn't. <laughs> w- watching the NASCAR race with one eye and your insight is greatly appreciated. I was watching Jimmy Johnson yes. finish a career best sixth in IndyCar in his first time on Oval at Texas Motor Speedway. I am clapping. Yeah, I know you didn't see it, but how impressive is that? Okay, so here's what I'm going to say. And, and this is why I told you when you said we were going to talk about this, I said you might not like what I've got to say. Okay, I am a huge Jimmy Johnson fan and became even a greater Jimmy Johnson fan when he put on that uniform, put on that helmet, and jumped in an Indy car. Because here's a guy that was at the top, the top, the top of his game in a cup car, winning championships, winning races. And when he decides to step away from that, it's, oh, let's go play another sport. I, I, I love that. I, I, I love that Michael Jordan put it all on the line. Deion, I mean, I love guys that move around like that because that shows they're comfortable in who they are. Okay. Having said that, <laughs> Jimmy Johnson, this is just Kyle's opinion, <laughs> was never a great road racer. Right. So I'm going to change games, and I'm only going to run the road courses. Yep. 80, okay. 83 victories in Cup, 82 of them on ovals. Yeah. I'm going to run – all street and road. All street. All street. All street. <laughs> I wondered the same thing. And it was I like, wondered the same and thing. you scratch your head. You scratch your head and you say, yeah. okay, I, I hear you, brother. I hear you. You, you, you got seven championships and 9,000 wins. I, you know more than I do, but I'm not sure. You're Mr. Mile and a Half. You're Mr. Oval. And I think yesterday affirmed that, that he is Mr. Oval, that he understands oval track racing, that he understands what it takes, whether it be in a stock car, whether it be in an Indy car, put him in a go-kart. I don't care. He understands oval track racing, 
and what it takes to be competitive on a round track or a square track if we go to Indy because I think he'll be competitive there. But, but, you, but as, as you look at it, that's his forte. That's his area of expertise. You know what I mean? He is a master at that and, and understanding where he needs to be and how to get there. And I think yesterday is a glimpse into what he can do. On and over. Now, I, I don't think it's a, you know, some people will, will look at things and say, you know, eh, you know, everybody, everybody does that every now and then. No, well, no, I'll, I'll tell you. I don't think so. No, that's not <laughs> what they were saying yeah, at Texas. That's Kyle. not what the, the, that's not what the IndyCar guys were saying. Right, right. And, right. and that's a huge, yeah. that's a huge endorsement. Yeah, he, very huge. And so he finishes sixth at Texas where we know he has seven cup wins. Yep. And as you, as you touched on, the next oval is the biggest race in the world. Apologies to Daytona and NASCAR. Yep. Indy 500 yep. in May. And you had Joseph Newgarden, the winner of Texas, say it. You had Scott McLaughlin, who finished second at Texas, say it. These guys believe that Jimmy Johnson is now a serious contender. I mean, he's yeah. won four Brickyards. Oh, I know. So I know. We, we saw what he can do at Texas. He knows I get around there. And now he's won four Brickyards, and he's going to go to Indy 500 with a Ganassi car that can probably win. Yeah, I, I love that pre-Texas. <laughs> if, if you listen to all the drivers, is you know Jimmy really works hard, and studies. <laughs> he's a good guy. He's a good teammate. I really yeah. like Jimmy. And now it's like, oh my God, I got a racing. Yeah, you know what I mean. I mean, it, it inst- the the pendulum swung from one side to the other from the comments. You know what I mean? It, and I, I've always said it's easy to be friends with a driver you know you can beat every week. It, that's the simplest thing in the world. Is you, I, listen, if I'm gonna pound you in the ground every week, let's be buds. Yeah. Let's be buds. You know what I mean? <laughs> but if you're gonna beat me every week. Then, then there's a little bit different. So it'll be interesting to see as he starts to run more and more competitive and is a threat to win races on ovals and is a threat going into Indy when we see, when we see him there, if he becomes that. It's going to be interesting to see the comments and the body language yeah. from the other drivers and, and what they have to say because I believe he is a threat on, on ovals. Well, I mean, and not only is he a really nice guy and really likable, but to your point, if he starts doing really well – then it's going to be the attention that Danica Patrick oh, yeah. got, the attention that yeah. Fernando Alonso got when he ran Indy. Yep. There might be a little bit of jealousy yeah. that might creep in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and and, and there, yeah, there will be, there there will be. Yeah, you know, I, I think it, you get that no matter where. If, if you're if you're the guy that's busted your butt and and invested your whole life to get to Indy in that seat, and you know, and you qualify first or second, and Jimmy Johnson is on the outside of the front row, and all the stories about Jimmy Johnson being on the outside of the front row or the inside of the front row or on the front row, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, there, there, there becomes that jealousy of, well, why are you talking about that guy, man? Yeah. Wait, wait, what's all, this, what's all yeah. the talk? So if, again, hypothetically, he's in the Indy 500, he makes that race, he has a chance to become the third guy to win Daytona 500, Indy 500. That would be Mario Andretti, mm-hmm. A.J. Foyt have done it. He would be the first to win, obviously, a Brickyard, a Southern 500, a Coca-Cola 600, a Cup Championship, and win this race. What's he going for there? That's all-time Mount yeah. Rushmore of racing. Listen, I, I say, you know, if I'm, I, I'll say this: if if he goes there and does that, okay, and 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 that's a big if. Yes. And and still gotta make the race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should say yeah, that. yeah, yeah. But 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 if he goes there and does that and puts and then you start looking at. Mario and AJ, and you start looking at all that, then I, we, we got the announcement, was it this past week, that Rick's taking a cup car to Lamont? <laughs> yeah. Jimmy Johnson's my guy. I'm taking <laughs> Jimmy Johnson to Lamont because that's, that's all that's left. Yep. I mean, honestly, that's yep. all that's left, or Monaco in a Formula One car. What do you, I mean, you know, as, as you look at some of that stuff, but honestly, that's, all that's, that's, that's about all that's left. And I think, 
I think if he does stuff like that and goes there, and we know what he's done in sports car racing, then you have to talk about Jimmy Johnson more so than any driver, I believe, in the Cup Series who has come from Cup and gone that direction. Not from a guy who, not from AJ who went IndyCar to here, or, or Mario, but Jimmy from going from here to there and what he's done, you have to talk to him, talk about him in the same conversation with Mario and Gurney and Foyt and Parnelli and guys like that. That's a, that's a level above, and I, I'll, I'll say it, that's a level above Richard Petty and Dale Earnhardt Sr., and guys that stayed in their lane. Yes. Um, and and that's, a, that's a level above, and God forbid the Tony Stewart fans will hate me. That's <laughs> no, a, it is. That, that's, that's a exactly. level above. That's, yeah. an, that's another place, man. Yeah. He, he moved to a place that few people have ever had that vision and ever seen from Sadly, that. smoke never won Daytona. That's right. So, yeah, it would be heavy if, if Jimmy's able to pull that off. All right, so as I mentioned, this was the first episode of the season for the NASCAR NBC Boom. podcast. First episode for NASCAR American Motor Mouse. I came in last week, KP, from a long off-season. <laughs> and uh, I just want to give this man a plug. Uh, we're, if you're not watching this on YouTube, you can't see this, but... Have a uh, advanced reader copy yes, of good Swerve for you. or Die it's actually by words Kyle in there. Petty. Yes, uh, it, it appears to be done. Yes. Like, this is it's close. But it's not out till midsummer. It's close. Something? It's right. close. It's close. Just wanted to give you a plug that yeah, I came in. Much. I was very excited to see your yeah, new thank book, you very much. Kyle Petty's Swerve or Die. So I'm yeah, looking forward I hope to you enjoy this. it. I hope yeah. you enjoy it. It's Kyle Petty. It's <laughs> <laughs> a filter, yeah, like it, always. Yeah, and you know what? It it was fun to do. I did it during the the pandemic. I have to tell you all about it sometime. But it was a it was a good project. It was very for me, there's a lot in there about my mom, uh, about Adam, uh, my Mike Helton, and my uncle Randy, who was killed on, in Talladega. It's just a lot of things that kind of change the direction of your life uh, as much. And it's racing, too, you know. And it's everything that I think's wrong with NASCAR. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. <laughs> uh, honestly, not. And and but you know what? It is. It is. It does address some of the things that you look at on the horizon that are going to be issues for this sport. And 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 honestly, it's simple stuff like, oh, GM's going all electric by 2035. Right. What are we going to do? Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, when you've got major players in the sport who have already announced their green initiative and what they're going to do manufacturing-wise, that has to be an issue for the sport that needs to be addressed. Honestly, in 2022, yes. you know, not in 2034, you know, so there are, there are things on the horizon, but the sport's in a good place right now. It is. It's in a good place with your perspective as well. Those are big issues that need big opinions. Yeah. I'm glad you are here to deliver them. And I'm glad yeah. you're here today. Thanks for Thank being you, here. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Our thanks again to Kyle Petty for joining us. Again, watch for his new book, Swerve or Die, coming out this summer. That certainly sounds like quite the read. I mean, really, of course it is because it's Kyle Petty. Always great to have him here and looking forward to more of his appearances this season. Thanks to you, dear listeners, for being patient during the offseason. As I noted, now that NASCAR America Motormouths is back on Mondays and Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern on Peacock, the NASCAR NBC podcast is also back weekly with NASCAR NBC analysts recapping the race with me weekly. I also do have some special narrative episodes and some guest episodes planned throughout the year as well, so stay tuned. Thanks to NASCAR NBC producers Emily Conboy and Aaron Feldstein for helping line up KP and for coordinating the video version of the podcast. A reminder, you can find that on the Motorsports on NBC YouTube channel. If you check that out, please subscribe while you're there. You can get lots of great daily 
video motorsports content, not just NASCAR, but across the spectrum of NBC Motorsports properties. That includes Supercross, IndyCar, MotoGP. We also have NASCAR on even when it's in the Fox half of the schedule. There's tons of great highlights. IMSA as well. We just had the 12 hours of Sebring. So check out Motorsports on NBC YouTube channel. You're going to get constant content, lots of highlights, lots of interviews worth checking out. And if you have any NASCAR NBC podcast feedback, you can send to me on Twitter at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR NBC podcast. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.